You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. The only godly way to pray is not my will be done, but what? Thy will be done, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? God is not a genie in a bottle. You know, what would I do if I had a genie in a bottle? What would I do if I won all that money and I had the golden ticket? What would I do with it all? It's like a prayer is like a Coke dispensing machine, you know? Set apart, be in the world, not of the world. Have you heard these phrases before? Make a choice. Will you be a friend or foe to Jesus while making this earth your home? Today, Pastor Tom continues contrasting materialistic avenues that drain any attempts to be humble and giving. To be like Jesus, a worldly lie gets planted in your soul that there's no time for prayer. Have you ever felt this way? People recognize that heartfelt prayer must come from lining up your desires with that of God's. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 as he continues his message, The Cure for Worldliness. You're too busy checking your app for the sale that's going to pop up before you checked your prayer list. Free items go quickly, I noticed on Hopebook. I wonder how often prayer items get prayed for on Hopebook. Is it just the faithful 10 or is it everybody? Your prayer goal gets fizzled in the pond of worldly complacency. This is how some believers live. You go to classes, off to school, in a hurry. Hurry, hurry, go, go. Get to school. School will advance you. School will make you better. What about your time with God? Does that matter? Did you pray with God this morning? No, I mean, he'll be there tomorrow. (laughs) I can't be late for school. So you don't pray. In this, you are imitating the unbeliever. That's how the unbeliever lives his life. He wakes up in the morning. He's like, I got things to do. And you know something? He doesn't pray. And he goes to school and he makes good grades. He graduates. He moves on. Graduates. He gets, a, he gets a nice job. He gets a promotion. He did it all without praying. See? That's how he lives his life. So what's the point of praying? God's will. The unbeliever doesn't live God's will. He doesn't know it. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't think it's any good at all. He doesn't get it. They have no use for God. If they're going to use God, if God's going to come up, then God's going to come up as a lucky charm, yes? It's just like anything else. You get a product, the product better work. You go to God, God better work. If he doesn't work, I got no use for him. He didn't help me fulfill my goals. People turn to religion all the time and try to appease the spirits or whatever it is. Help my crops to grow. Send rain. God, fulfill my desires. And that's what false religion is. Once in a while, we find a reason for heavy praying. The kids are sick. All of a sudden, now you found prayer. Wow, you found prayer. You lost your job. You're on your knees. But those moments come and go. Thank you, Lord, so long. Most of life just goes right back on track. You want more of what you want. By the way, if you're going through one trial after another after another, God's probably trying to get your attention. He's trying to frustrate everything about you. So you just stop going the direction you're going. Stop it. Turn around 
and go the other direction. Something like uh, in the Bible says something about the father chastens those whom he loves, right? He's after you and he loves you. He loves you and so he's messing up your life. Because where you're heading is wrong and he knows it. He's a good father and he's a lot wiser than you and me. So we pray lightly. And what I mean by pray lightly is, you know, you have a request. What were the requests you prayed for? I don't remember. I think I had some requests there. I don't really keep track of them. That's praying lightly. That's praying not so seriously. So you're praying seriously, you're writing it down. Lord, you haven't answered yet. Lord, I've been on that one for months. I'm going to leave it on there because I'm clinging to you. I know you're going to bring this about. If I'm not going to bring that about, show me how I need to change that request so I can do what you want me to do. See, because I'm confused. I've been praying for that one. I think that's what the word says, but it hasn't been answered yet. I'm going to cling to it. If I need to learn something else, give me the wisdom so my prayer request gets better because I want it answered. That's praying the way you should be praying, right? That's clinging to God. You know, sometimes we see uh, the requests come up in communities and small groups, you know, pray for my, and what comes out, like what's the percentage of that? What comes out is pray for my health, because I can't fulfill anything else in my life that I want to do if I'm not healthy. So health is the foundation of all my lusts. So church, pray for my health. No, there's nothing wrong with praying for health. You guys pray for my health. I'm very glad for it. And the other set of prayer requests is pray for my, and it won't come out this way, but this is how it is. Pray for my wealth. Health, wealth. If I got that, then God has served me very well. Man, he fits my design. I got use for God now. But not if he doesn't do that. If I'm sick and I'm poor, I'm done with this Christianity stuff. I'm out of here. Well, who's the more worldly person now? The guy with five tattoos and a nose ring and a ponytail and a leather jacket sitting upon his Harley who happens to pray earnestly and submit his life to Jesus Christ and witness for the name of Christ and is very content when his Harley breaks, or you? Who's more worldly? Well, there's still more to descend into here in verse 3. He has one more part of this diagnosis, and that is God's rejection of prayer requests. This one really hurts because right now you should be saying, all right, I'm going to get busy praying. And then you come to verse 3, it's going to slap it all down. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that, and here it is, here's the controlling principle. Here it is so that you can spend it on your life's plan, pleasures. Sometimes the believer does pray. They do make the request to God. But the outcome is exactly the same as the believer who doesn't pray. Did you notice? those guys don't get anything from God either. I mean, the first group of people doesn't pray, and so they get nothing from God. The second group of people does pray, and they get nothing from God. Man, why doesn't God give them what they ask? Well, let's go through um, how the mind often deals with this. God, you don't care about me. That is exactly what Satan wants you to think. Yep, you've absorbed his teaching and his voice well and you've bought into that. That's exactly how Satan wants you to do. God, you're not giving me because you don't care. That's right. Satan is smiling, and that's exactly what you're supposed to think with his doctrine. He don't care about you. Or does the prayer not get answered because prayer doesn't work? Prayer doesn't work. Prayer is you talking to the ceiling. 
God's all imaginary there. This is the worldly wise man who wants you to think this way, right? You know, why are you bothering praying? Just get up and go do what you need to go do. This praying thing silly to them. That's the worldly wise man. Then there is, um, you're praying to the wrong God. See, if you would pray to Allah or Mary, you'd get your prayers answered, the false religionist would say to you, right? No, 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 none of that. The answer is you're asking the right God, maybe even some of the right requests with the wrong what? Motives. Ouch. Motives. Actually, wrong motives is one word. Kakos, an adverb, means badly or evil. It refers to moral evil. Wrong motives. Really fleshed out, I think, with the next explanation. So you can spend it on your pleasures. There's pleasures again. Spending it on the pleasures. Spending it. Give me so that I can spend it. We like to spend. Do you like to spend? I mean, who wants to go to the mall and not spend, right? Who wants to go see all the things in Wegmans and not spend? You go to spend. You want something in your hand, your wallet, your card, so you can spend. Spend is dapanao. Interestingly, it's the same term that's used uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, as David Moore recently preached on it, that he went and spent all this stuff before he was found. Remember that? He spent his father's inheritance on all of his pleasures. And then he was empty again, literally and spiritually. He took what the father had given him and he blew it all. What did he blow it all on? Answer, his pleasures. He loved himself, see? He loved himself. And uh, he spent on himself. He was a worthy thing to spend on, he thought. Well, the same with us sometimes. All those pleasures waging war inside of us, they become so strong they can actually invade our prayer life. We, we can be so consumed by what we want, we actually can talk to God as if he better get in line with what we want. God, get these things for me. If you're up there, if you're listening, if you love me, this is what I want. It's on my Santa Claus list. You're the big Santa Claus. Make it happen. Do you think that the Lord can be manipulated like that? Imagine us fasting and yelling and praying and shaking and God's going to answer and still God doesn't answer prayers like that. He can't be manipulated like that. It's so futile to do that. I think a lot of people turn away from having tried Christ and they're now out of the church and they've gone the way of the world because they won't admit it, but they really tried to use God that way and it didn't work for them. Something happened in their life they didn't like, they prayed, it didn't go the way they thought it would go, and they're just, they're just kind of done with God. They're done with it. They don't believe in Christianity anymore because they didn't really understand Christianity in the first place. They never really got the relationship in the first place. God won't allow prayer to be used that way. He's holy. The only godly way to pray is not my will be done, but what? Thy will be done, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? God is not a genie in a bottle. You know, what would I do if I had a genie in a bottle? What would I do if I won all that money and I had the golden ticket? What would I do with it all? It's like a prayer is like a Coke dispensing machine, you know? Just put the quarters in. 
Let's get something out. And that's how we view it. It satisfies our worldly pleasures, our thirst for worldly pleasure and treasure. Well, God must be revered. God must be obeyed. You want answer to prayer, put your life on the altar for God. Lay your life up there. Say, how do I do that? Romans 12.1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, do you know the rest? A living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. As I said, you can bring your requests for health and wealth, but where is the yearning in your requests for the things of God? When do you share a prayer request that says, I want to learn to exalt myself less I want to learn to love my family and care for their needs more. When do you share a prayer request that says, I want to overcome my lack of trust in God and get rid of my anxiety? If your prayers are to fulfill your plans for your life, you're not going to get the answers from God. And that's why you're not going to like prayer. Tasker in his commentary says, as long as they allow their lives to be governed by pleasure, real satisfaction, consisting of true peace, full contentment, and solid joy will always be beyond their reach. Man's primary need, therefore, is to desire the right things, the things that God will bestow upon his children if they ask him for them. There is, to be sure, no prayer that we all need to pray so much as the prayer that we may love what God commands and desire what he promises. God's not a killjoy. He's got a better joy. He knows if you would stop lusting for those pleasures and those powers and all of that prestige, all the stuff that he told you is passing away, if you would quit craving for that, he'll give you better things, things that last forever, his joy, his love. Psalm 103, 5, I love it. God satisfies your years with good things. That's the diagnosis. Now, we'll get started on the, uh, the, the cutting of worldliness out of us in verses 4 through 5. Let's focus on that. Second, uh, James cuts worldliness out of us here in verses 4 and 5. You adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We'll stop there. This is where the doctor moves beyond the diagnosis and he starts to cut out the infected tissue that's harmful to the whole person. And so the rebuke comes sharply. You adulteresses. This is a direct address. It's in the vocative case in Greek. It is a direct rebuke to the Jewish church in the dispersion in the 40s AD, the very early church who was wrestling, obviously, with worldliness. These words of address are a far cry from what we've heard from the rest of the epistle where he said things like, my brethren, or my beloved brethren. These are not words of reassurance. These are blunt and jarring words to shake up the reader and get them to turn from their evil ways. Most of the time, spiritual leaders need to be gentle and kind and reassuring, not so strong or negative. But sometimes the guns need to be lowered, and this is what he's doing here, and issue a powerful corrective to wayward hearts who are dabbling with dangerous things and are caught in the curse of worldliness. They need to hear you adulteresses. This is very strong language, but it's needed. Actually, this is the strongest rebuke in all of the letter. 
Some people believe that this is the heart and the center of the letter, whose theme is that true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ produces good works. James is trying to excise worldliness from believing hearts so believers may live out their faith with good works and truly please God in their lives. It's like we're hearing here in this voice, in this verse also, verse 4, thunder. Thunder as an Old Testament prophet might issue thunder, where the man of God would stand in front of the people of God and command them to turn back to their God. You adulteresses. Did you notice that that rebuke is feminine? Why was James only interested in rebuking the women for their unfaithfulness to their husbands, or was he? It appears that some of the New Testament scribes copying this letter were very uncomfortable with only the feminine being rebuked by James here in this verse. And so there's a textual variant in one family of Greek texts which adds the masculine to the feminine. The King James Version, if you have that, for example, says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. They follow the textus receptus to receive text. But the shorter reading with just the adulteresses is well supported by many textual witnesses, if you're interested in such things, the Alexandrian, including the Codex Sinaiticus, the Western family of manuscripts, and the very earliest ones. So this adulteresses is more likely the original reading. The feminine was not to be taken literally anyways. It was to be taken figuratively. It was meant to include everyone in the church, the church being viewed in feminine relationship to God who's being viewed in masculine, as the masculine. There is significant biblical imagery behind all of this, in the Old Testament especially. Israel was viewed as the bride of Yahweh in the Old Testament, the Lord. And when Israel went after many gods, Going after those gods was considered spiritual adultery. Jeremiah 31, 31 and 32, for example, says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their forefathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Then there's Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 20 for more of this imagery. Surely as a woman treacherously departs from her lover, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. In the book of Hosea, this treachery of Israel reaches its apex when the Lord instructs Hosea, go out, find a prostitute, and marry the prostitute, who predictably then was unfaithful to him, so that the prostitute's unfaithfulness would be a prophetic picture of Israel's ongoing unfaithfulness to Yahweh by chasing the other gods. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Hosea 9, 1. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with exultation like the nations, for you have played the harlot, forsaking your God. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 35 even speaks of God using these very lovers that Israel went after, those lovers to bring judgment upon Israel so they would know you should never have loved them in the first place. They only bring you destruction. Scripture even records that God at one point divorced Israel for her continued unfaithfulness. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, for she went and was a harlot also. 
Jesus picks up on this very imagery in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39. It says there that Jesus answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. And he went on to speak of his resurrection. By New Testament times, Israel was not going after false idols anymore, but their hearts were not in love with God. And so when Jesus came bringing the word of God, they rejected him and his miracles and his works. And so Jesus calls them adulterous, for their hearts were latched onto the world. And they were religious. So in the New Testament, the apostles pick up the same theme, and they teach that Christ is the husband of the church, and that the church is the bride of Christ. You know this, right? Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, the word of God that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle like a wedding gown, you see, or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's what Christ wants in a bride. 2 Corinthians eleven two, 2, Paul is writing. He says, I am jealous for you, Corinthians, with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Like the worldly cities of Israel, the hearts of the church sometimes are infatuated with the world, and we have our dalliances with the world, and we go off and we have our romantic dances with the world, and we sneak off in the middle of the night to have an affair with the world. Where our love and our affection ought to be is for the one to whom we were betrothed, Jesus Christ, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we don't. He's not enough. We don't think he's enough. Instead, it, our heart lusts after the beauty of the world, and it lifts up its skirt to play with the world. And again, the pleasures on the inside rage, and they want to be expressed. More money, it's not enough. More worldly holdings, more in varied sex. I don't like the boundaries God has given. Lust for the beautiful and the ornate and the expensive and the finest products. Chasing fame and glory and honor and recognition. And those very pleasures, those very pleasures lure your hearts away from God. The love of the world extinguishes the love and passion you have for Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Christ in you becomes quenched. And all those godly longings that the Spirit of Christ is trying to lift up in your heart fizzles because you keep going right back to the world. You are beloved of God. God has set his love and his affection upon you. But worldly mindedness, loving the world, is spiritual adultery. So says Christ. And if you don't turn back from the love of the world, it will lead you right on into absolute apostasy. And there are many in the church that have proven they had no salvation and they walked away from Christ and their soul is doomed because they became confirmed in their love for the world. They did not fear sin. They did not fear the wrath of God. They kept getting closer. They kept hugging the world and it eventually got to their heart and they walked on away. And that can happen to people in the church. But he asked the question that everyone's supposed to know the answer to. 
We've all been taught. We all understand. He says, do you not know? Of course they did. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? I'll leave you with that question to ponder. To demand that God grant you answers to your prayers exactly how you expect them to be answered isn't accurate to how He works. Pastor Tom today reminded you that prayer needs to be aligned with His will. In the Bible, a life that declares they know Jesus but is really seeking their own gain is compared to a person who betrays the love that He has for you. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leak, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. War is thought of as two opposing groups of people fighting each other because they are so grounded in their beliefs. How about a personal taking up of arms? Do you need heart surgery to rid yourself of this earth's junk that tells you you can have the world in Jesus? Friends, it's not possible to truly be a defender of both. Tune in next time to hear Pastor Tom address this and much more as you learn the way to rid yourself of the world's disinformation. To listen again to today's message in the book of Acts, visit HopeBibleChurch.org and look under the Sermons tab. Pastor Tom will return soon with another in-depth study of God's Word. So join us again right here on Discover Hope.